1: Hello, coaches. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. This is Championship Vision Podcast. Welcome to episode number 18. Today, we're interviewing Coach uh, Brad Butterworth. Brad Butterworth is the Director of Education and Programs for Shoot360. Brad has been in basketball development for 18 years as a head high school coach and collegiate coach. As a high school coach, he was able to guide Dana Hills to its best records in school history. He's worked with Florida State University, Western Washington University, Air Force Academy, and Colorado College. Coach Butterworth's success at the high school level was due to the work he put into the youth of his program in order to create a more competitive community and repeat success. He took that philosophy and helped create scalable basketball development programs using sports technology. Let's thank our sponsors, Championship Productions Incorporated. They produce the world's best basketball instructional videos and DVDs featuring the top basketball coaches and athletes. With an extensive catalog of basketball videos and DVDs produced for basketball coaches, parents, and athletes. Championship Productions is internationally recognized as the industry leader in basketball instructional videos, books, and guides. And is regularly distinguished for its first-class customer service. Check out our product descriptions and customer reviews to select the best basketball instructional videos in the world. Let's welcome Brad Butterworth.
0: You like an answer to our prayers? No, wait a minute. I'm not an answer to your prayers, I'm not a savior or uh, Jesus Christ, Martin Luther King or the Easter Bunny. I'm a football coach, that's all, (laughs) just a football coach. You are a coach
1: coach hello Brad. how are you
0: hey man I'm doing really well how are you doing
1: great I'm so glad you can join me man this this is uh this is fabulous yeah uh great. just like yeah i I tell you it's um this is my my eighteenth episode and uh of course I've been trying to get you on for a while because I know i mean you're just uh you're a great listen man i I know a lot of a lot of coaches would get a lot out of it oh, great. um but, Yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: I'm looking forward
1: Uh, to it. Yeah, absolutely. um, Hey, I want to pick your brain on a lot of things, and that's what I try to do on this. Okay. Um, Because I get a lot of coaches. Matter of fact, a lot of the coaches that came to the clinic, um, they listen to the podcast and so forth. They really enjoy it. Of course, I have some great coaches on there, like Gene Durden and A.C. McCullough, all those guys. Yeah. Uh, But, um, hey, Brad, first of all – you know, my podcast is called Championship Vision, and I know you got a championship vision mindset. You always have ever since I met you. Uh, How did you develop this mindset? And uh, did you develop it as a youth? And did anybody have a big impact on what you're doing right now?
0: Yeah, no, uh, it's a great question. So I think that um, the cream always finds each other. Um, And if, if, if you've been Kind of groomed uh, by a young age to um, you know perform at a high level, whether that's academically or personally or just from a character standpoint, um, you're you're likely going to be in some pretty high level circles, and um, because of that, I think that that kind of perpetuates itself. Uh, So as you continue to roll in those circles, uh, your your championship attitude is kind of continually getting polished. It doesn't mean you're. Uh, it doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination you don't make mistakes. Of course, you know we all make mistakes, and that's what I mean by by getting polished. But uh, without kind of being around those uh, high-level people, um, you know, you it's really kind of hard to to uh, get those skill sets, and and they are skills. Um, I, I believe that anybody can can uh, create a skill set of having a championship mind. So for me, uh, starting early in my life those, my parents. Uh, my mom was a, a very, very good teacher. Uh, just retired after 44 years of teaching in Georgia. Uh, she's teacher of the year. She uh, taught teachers. Um, she, she was very, very well respected in, in the Southern education scene. My dad was a very high level basketball coach. Um, at, I'm sorry, a, a football coach actually out of, out of, out of Tampa. Um, and his dad was a hall of famer football coach. Um, and, uh, and uh, ended up uh, being on the uh, the Hall of Fame Bowl and and Outback Bowl selection committee and and through those relationships, I'm just kind of always around you know high level people um, and growing under a coach's tutelage um, that uh, that course always helps. And you know onward to my my high school career, I was uh, I played under uh learned, learned in a community under Eddie Martin, um, whom I'm sure you know of uh, at Brookwood High School, Norcross, Great Atlantic yeah. Christian School. Um, and so I got to be in his community uh, as a young player and then went on to play at Burtmar High School uh, for a gentleman by the name of Jim Van Hoosier and Keith uh, uh, Sweat. And those guys were just in, incredibly good coaches. Uh, then went on to join the military. The military has a pretty high – standard. Uh, this was after my college basketball playing, um, kind of a, a high standard, obviously, in the military. So I uh, just run a, a lot of great people. And then as I got into coaching, that's when really when my choice started. Right. Like like as I'm growing up, we we have less and less choices in life. And so thank God, you know, I was blessed by God to be around a lot of great people. And so it became easy to seek out that that cream uh, when I became a professional. And so coaching uh, around some great high-level coaches. Got to be around Leonard Hamilton at FSU and Stan, Stan Jones, who's just an absolute excellent coach. Mike Jaskowski, one of the greatest defensive coaches I've ever known um, out of uh, University of Central Florida after Florida right. State. And then um, Kevin Carroll, uh, former Chattahoochee High School basketball coach, now uh, was with him at Air Force Academy. Andy Partee. Uh, uh, former associate head at Brown University, uh, head coach at Colorado College, uh, Brad Barbrick, Concordia University, Bart Valentine, Warner Pacific University. I mean, coach. These are some of the some of the greatest men men that I know of coaching uh, basketball today. And so, having those guys a part of my life and as a part of my development um, has certainly been uh, very powerful for me. And it all kind of culminating to Craig Moody, the founder of Shoot Three Hundred and Sixty. Um, which was uh, which has been the, the most challenging and um, professionally kind of a, 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 the, the, probably the most impactful professional development um, that I've ever gone through has been under Craig Moody's reign, who's a former college basketball coach and is now running shoot, you know, shoot 360 as an owner. So um, really great people. I think it's just that the, the people you're around, like I said, the cream always finds each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I—I I tell you, you—you've um, always amazed me, though. With uh, you, just have—I well, I tell you, your strength is your um, your teaching ability. I, th- I think you're a master teacher on that, and just from being around you for a short period of time, your how you do, how you work with the with the youth, uh, you get you got, I mean, it's unbelievable. Tell me about. Coach Lynn West, because, you know, as you know, you know, Coach Lynn West and his wife, Gail. Tell me a little bit about that relationship, because Lynn and I were pretty close for a short period of time. He had a big impact on me. What do you remember about Coach West? Um, And just tell me, tell me a few stories about about Lenny.
0: Well, Coach, I'll be honest with you. I I never really came across Coach West. It was my 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 uh, biological father, my mom. They met at FSU together, and um, all got pretty much married right around the same same time uh, t- together. And so they they were at FSU from about sixty eight to seventy three ish under Hugh Durham uh, when they went to the national title in seventy two against UCLA. Um, the person who could tell you stories uh, about Coach West would be my mom. <laughs> so. She- Right, She, she has uh, some great stories, especially from the Final Four that year and from the national championship. Um, she always talks about how much of a sweetheart the Durham family was and Coach West's family and actually got great stories about um, sitting with Coach Wooden's wife at the wife's luncheon and dinners and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but uh, unfortunately, I never really – uh, came across Coach West in any impactful way. I just basically watched his career from afar.
1: Yes, and he had a big impact on uh, on me. And I I knew a lot of people didn't realize who he who's he been around. I mean, Coach Durham. I I just think Coach Durham is probably the most underrated basketball no coach.
0: Absolutely, probably
1: in the history. And I I could be carrying that a little bit too far. Maybe because I graduated from Georgia. I think that. <laughs> But he had some great teams. Oh, he was yeah. so consistent. Um, and a good man. And, and, a, and a really good man. Um, matter of fact, I was trying to get him to come out to the the clinic. Where it's tough to get a lot of the older coaches. But I, I just think I've always had a lot of respect for Coach Durham.
0: So Coach Durham, um, here, here's, here's a funny story. So I moved back to Savannah and um, – and I'm I'm uh, working with Islands High School basketball, and that was kind of my first gig in Savannah, and uh, yeah. and so I uh, get a call from one of the parents and said, you know, hey, listen, I know you know you, you just accepted the role and everything, but you, we got a, a group of freshmen that are going to be playing the summer league game. You might want to just come out and and check them out and kind of see how they're how they are as a group together and. Um, they, they've been coached pretty well as a, as a youth group, uh, and coming in. So these are going to be basically the future of Islands High School. And so I went and checked them out and I sat next to this really nice lady and, um, I was watching, a, uh, the, this group and they were just all real fine basketball players. This one kid that was really technically sound, uh, really good shooter, um, good, uh, decent long defender, very good making decisions. And I, I was, uh, sitting next to this mother. And I said, could you tell me which one that is? And uh, she goes, yes, that's my son, um, actually, and his, uh, his name is Hugh. And um, I said, oh, okay. Um, and uh, she introduced her, herself uh, to me and said her name is Mrs. Durham. And I said, are you telling me that your son's name is Hugh Durham? <laughs> uh, and uh, she said, uh, yeah. yeah. She goes, um, actually, that's, he's named after my father-in-law. I said are you telling me that your son, that your father-in-law is Hugh Durham former coach of Georgia and FSU and I believe you spent some time at Jacksonville and uh, he goes oh yeah that's uh, that's my father-in-law and I said well son of a gun you know my dad uh coached alongside uh for Hugh Durham back in the early 70s uh when they went to the national title um his name's Chris Butterworth and uh my and then, and then enrolls in, in uh Hugh's son uh, Jim and who who is the local district attorney down there in Savannah. And I called my mom immediately and I said, you're not going to guess who I'm sitting by. I said, I'm sitting by old Jim Durham. And he goes, Oh, Oh, Jimmy, you're sitting by Jimmy Durham. I remember him when he was about the size of my knee dribbling around that basketball gym. And he, uh, uh, so, so long story short, those kids that were coming into islands high school with the best group of kids to come in because they had been coached by Jim Durham, who of course was coached really by his dad, even though he played at Princeton and for Pete Carrill, who was a fantastic coach. Of course, I, I, I'm a huge Pete Carrill fan. Um, sure. You know, really kind of just grew up under his, the tutelage of his, of his dad. And of course, uh, Coach Durham would come in every once in a while and work with those boys. But just uh, 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 it just shows you how small the basketball community is. I ended up working with, you know, as, um, as luck would have it, uh, and God has amazing plans. Uh, my my dad worked for Hugh Durham, and I ended up coaching his grandkid. Yeah,
1: that is a small world, isn't it? It is. It's funny how people are interconnected a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Just in the strangest ways. I mean, it's amazing in the coaching profession, don't you think? Well,
0: and the, and the basketball one especially, because there are so few coaches, right? I mean, you go to a uh, a uh, a football program, and there's 27 coaches on the sideline, and so it's quite a big world, but there's only a few trees from which those, those coaches come from. But in the basketball world, you know, you're only talking about two or three assistants per program. Um, and so uh, I think that the way in which our – industry operates it, it it creates for a lot of great relationships whether you're going in through the nabc um, or whether you're a part of your local coaches association or your state's uh, coaches association you i always feel like you're about two or three degrees separated from any major coach that you would see you know on uh, espn or fox sports
1: yeah that's that, that's that's so true um and, you know, what's funny is is, I'm telling you, I, again, going back to you, Durham, that's why I ran my clinic. And I, I want to keep continue, Coach, to bring in older coaches that have had an impact on the game. I, I just don't think we – I just don't think we respect enough for the older coaches. Everything's obviously about the new and what, what everybody's doing now. Um, but – you know, you know. Picture listening to a U Durham and some of those great coaches from the past. I don't think we do enough of that. Um, what's your What's your opinion on that? You think we honor the older coaches, or maybe it's just me? Maybe Maybe I just love the older coaches.
0: You know, I I, I do. I think I think anybody who who coaches um, is likely going to have a mentality of respect. Now, whether or not that uh, that our industry finds ways to seek out that knowledge in any scalable way like a coach's clinic. Well, that that, that's really a different question. And uh, quite honestly, our sport does a horrific job at that. I don't think that that is out of disrespect. Um, I think it's out of lack of knowledge and possibly ignorance on how to get that done. Like coach, if you, if you look at some of the other governing bodies and you look at soccer where you look at United States Tennis Association, uh, AYSO soccer, United States Volleyball, um, even football has kind of figured it out, and baseball's always had a, had a great um, uh, program. But those those other sports, coach, that they, they do a great job of of scaling out their expectations, their curriculum, their um, culture, the values, things like that. And so I think our sport we're so fragmented. That there's right. a bunch of pirates out on the open sea, just kind of duking it out. And this is kind of what I, how I, I describe it is that coaches are similar to pirates where they're going to protect what's theirs, but they want to steal from you. And that's very commonplace. <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah. That's very commonplace <laughs> in basketball. Uh, It doesn't necessarily need to be that way. And USA Basketball is doing some things to help combat that. So is NBA basketball with their junior NBA growth. And we at Shoot360 are are playing uh, a role in that. And there's going to be some interesting news kind of coming out here over the course of the next year. And so I'm hoping that it gets uh, less and less fragmented. But right now we have a fragmented problem um, so that we can access – the real power of what these older coaches, um, their, their, their knowledge base. What the other thing that, that I think is, is the issue here is the NCAA. And, um, I think that that is, you know, everybody talks about the NCAA and, and they're obviously on the, on the mouth of, of every coach out there. Um, but depending upon what the restrictions are, you know, these college coaches are just so bound, by what, right. um, by, by what they're allowed to do, um, that really, quite honestly, if, if they were kind of unchained a little bit and could share some of their knowledge, like if you take Coach McCullough from Davidson, how, how, how great would that clinic be? You know, um, where, where you're watching how he's able to produce winning program after winning program by just simply going to get the players that fit his system the best and then developing from within. Or how about Coach LeVar, you know, at, at Butler University, who still recruits under the Brad, uh, the, uh, Brad Stevens system, uh, which is the Butler way. But yet in the, in the Big East, they're up there with the top dogs like Villanova. Villanova's another one. Coach Wright, you know, of uh, what he's able to do. Coach Bennett and changing kind of the, the whole landscape of the ACC on how, on how you can win in the ACC. Um, but these guys are restricted and bound by a lot of regulations. So I think that um, once those guys, you know, are able to actually come and share with us in in any unregulatory fashion, um, or at least in an appropriate way, it's going to be really tough. But I think what you might be asking, though, is is maybe some of the retired coaches. Um, There ain't ain't a retired coach that I know of that wouldn't want to come and share. I know Coach Durham would love to. I know Coach Valentine would love to. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great coaches out there. I just think it's really just about organization coach and becoming less fragmented as an industry.
1: That's a great point. I mean, I'm, I'm here writing notes. I love that. I heard something on a podcast the other day, and you would know more than I would. They say college coaches, on average, spend about maybe 10% on improving themselves, where most of it's on recruiting. Sure. Um so we- uh, which is, to me, I couldn't believe these guys are are not really becoming better at the college level. What, what do you think about that?
0: Well, there's no question that the college coach is is really kind of geared around the recruitment. I think though that you're when you talk about the average coaches, you know, we sometimes you know those averages are throwing out the the people who are really perfecting their craft. You know, I mean, right. I, so I just got to spend some time with IUPUI's coaching staff yesterday. Um, and I, I can tell you the, the the environment that I saw in there, that while we spend a lot of time talking about the certain type of player he recruits, um, if, if from, from the reflection of what I saw in there, that guy definitely works on his craft. Um, you know, I was uh, hanging out with Portland State uh, the last couple of years. They have a defensive coordinator there that could coach big time college ball at any institution. Uh, because of the way he works, uh, works on his craft, uh, but I th- I do think you're right. I think that I think really what that that stat kind of uh, communicates is how important recruiting co- uh, is to college basketball, and that's really what it. Uh, college basketball is a business, and you have to go and find the the best people possible, and if you want to run the best business possible, and that's okay. Uh, but I'm w- what what I'm sick of is the NCAA. Uh, uh, telling us that they're just basically an education uh, center, when in fact they're a multi-billion-dollar, you know, company. So yeah. so it's it's not you know it, it's tough when you work for a company like the NCAA. You better be a recruiter because that's the only way you're going to uh, uh, be successful in that institution is to go be a recruiter. But I do think that that stat maybe throws out some of the outliers, which are just uh, I mean, Co- Coach Bennett and his staff. I don't think it gets any better than that. They definitely perfect their craft. So
1: probably, and, and tell me if I tell me if this is inaccurate. I I think some of the best coaches are high school, Division three NEIA or these guys. I think there's probably a lot of great coaches that can probably move on to the next level, and they stay at the lower levels because they can have an impact and they can teach kids. Right?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the best coaches in the world are at the high school level in America, but uh, period. Um uh, I, I I've been around too many high schools uh to think anything otherwise. Look, the reason why, you know, a college coach is where he is is because number one, he's um, he's probably worked on his craft a little bit. He's a very good recruiter because of, of the um people he's been able to be around and, and because he's been able to nurture his database uh pretty solidly. Um but the the biggest thing that, that a lot of people talk about that maybe nobody really kind of uh, on a podcast announces <laughs> is that those guys are there because of the relationships they had. It was great timing for them. You know, that doesn't mean they're bad coaches. I mean, Coach is one of the greatest coaches to ever walk the face of the planet. You know, I uh, want a, a great game manager, really good motivator, has an understanding mm-hmm. of how to, to uh, manage egos. Uh, but, you know, I mean, let's be honest. When we're looking at the Division One world, you know, I mean, I've gone through it myself. Uh, those guys were coaches at the, in those levels because – um, of great timing and really good relationships. Um, but at the high school level, you, you have to eat what you kill, right? I mean, like there's, 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 you, you can't go out and get your own athlete. You have what you have. And so you better learn this game on a big uh, on a very astute level, because if I've right. got a group of kids that are coming in that are all six, seven, I better figure out how to best use those kids. But then two years later, when those kids graduate, I've, now I got a bunch of kids who are all six one, and so I, I, I better be I, I better be able to run something other than the Kansas High Low Power game, you know. <laughs> um, so I, I think what high school coaches do really, the the good ones, number one, they really want to just be there. Nobody's coaching high school basketball because of the money, all right. Number number two, for the most part, they want to win. They want to do well. They, they, they all have really the right heart in place. Now, whether or not they can win, that's another thing, but they, 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 they're organic people. Uh, And you don't see that in other facets of this particular industry. High school basketball really is the most organic uh, uh, place, I think in our industry space.
1: Yeah. It's probably why guys like Gene Durden, who I think is, I mean, I just had tremendous respect for him as a teacher of the game. He probably could have gone on and coached at the next level. Oh, I mean, of course. He's, and he's staying right where he is. Of course, some people say Buford is like a, a college. Yeah, but,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, he's let's like be a great spot. I mean, I don't know why he would ever leave, right? I mean, like why would he want why would he want the press, you know, having to uh uh, you know he 's going to go start at a Division two school and then maybe a mid major low major division one and have to work himself up he 's already the big fish and he 's a great great high school basketball coach he 's just a great <laughs> basketball coach period uh, period and so he's he 's already there in one of the most beautiful uh, uh, towns and the best school districts in all of georgia uh, You're right he 's got great tremendous support. Because he's been very successful, he's got a fantastic budget. He's he's got great facilities. He's built all that stuff from the ground up, man. And and um and so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how I, I always kind of follow Coach Durden's years. He would he would not know this, but I I follow his uh, his years. And I remember when his son, we actually spoke at the same clinic years ago when his son was still a high school player, and he was dragging him all over the place uh, 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 doing clinics and having his son be a part of that clinic experience as a demonstrated player. Uh, and meanwhile, I'm doing the same thing with my own kid who is about six years younger than him and you whom, you know, very well coach. Um, sure. And so, uh, so I've, I've always really thoroughly enjoyed watching him speak super energetic and very straight to the point.
1: Yeah. And, um, he he had his son there the other day demonstrating and so forth. And I and I know for this I when I know when Gene retires, that's that's probably the transition they're gonna go with. Sure. I mean Kobe Kobe's yeah. gonna be a great coach. I had a chance to talk to him. Hey, let's talk about shoot 360. I'm I mean, I, I think it's a great I have my assistant coach. I think you met him, John Heinen, mm-hmm. the other day. Yep. Um and of course, John was so uh complimentary of you and so forth, and um but I want to, you know, tell me about Shoot360. I know it's all about uh, you guys do a tremendous job of skill development and measurement. Tell us a little bit more. Tell us in detail about what Shoot360 is doing.
0: Well, whenever I speak at coaches clinics, I, I always try to leave coaches with a couple of things to, to remember. That um, number <laughs> number one, um, we have a judicial responsibility as coaches to find different ways to continue to connect to our athlete. All right. So we have that responsibility. Otherwise we're just totalitarians, right? And there are coaches out there that can be totalitarians and they can be successful. They're very rare. All right. Or there's coaches out there that create infectious environments that people want to be a part of. And that success just perpetuates itself because the next group that comes up and follows them doesn't know any better. They only know one standard. And I would suggest to you that Coach Durden has created that at Buford. All right. Um, And so um, so if we have this judicial responsibility to find new ways to connect, it is because we as coaches always get older and the athletes we coach never age. Right. So, you know, (laughs) in in 20 years, I'm still going to be coaching 16, 17 year old kids, but I'm going to be uh, 60 years old and they're still going to be 17 years old. Right. So. Uh, When I was uh, going in school, you know, it was kind of really about pop culture. Uh, It was was about music and things like that. So I had some really cool coaches that that used pop culture and music to kind of connect with us and relate to us. Uh, When my dad was playing, you know, it was really just kind of about that hard work, blue collar. You know, my 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 uh, my, you know, his dad probably, you know, I'm just I'm saying generationally their parents, you know, either fought in the war. Or um, started their own business from the ground level up and just really put their nose to the grindstone and things like that. Um, and so that kind of trickled down to their kids. Uh, but somewhere around the 70s and 80s, especially in the 80s, it was really more about white collar um, and just kind of, you know, business environment and things like that. And still really good work ethic, but just different. So uh, right now we have an athletic base. Uh, or a base of, of athletes uh, that care about technology. Um, that's, right. that, that's how they're connecting to the world. That's how they're connecting to each other. And there's some good things about that, and there's some bad things about that. But if, if what I did was uh, basically discount that, then I would be um, throwing away a necessary tool for me to connect to my particular next crop of athlete. So that's what's so unique about Shoot360 is that it honors the past of what it means to be a high-level coach and an educator of this sport, but it uses technology to bridge what I know as a coach and what the athlete needs to experience. So that, in a nutshell, is really what Shoot360 is about. It's about using technology in an engaging way, but also a development-relevant way. Um, so many times is technology being being basically gimmicked uh, to, to, to um, I don't know, to, to basically becoming a, more of like a just a gimmick video game. At Shoot360, you know, we are a bunch of coaches that are trying to find engaging ways to uh, spur development in a very relevant way. So I'll give you an example. So in our facility, kids can come in. And they can engage with our technology that not only gets them to shoot the ball correctly, okay, but they can make instant uh, modifications to their jump shot or their form um, because they're getting that instant objective material. But all the while, they're also getting a coach, which is that human touch, that is also getting them to understand the technology so that they continually kind of make these adjustments to their skill sets. But not only that, it goes deeper than that. So if I'm a basketball coach at, say, uh, Brookwood High School, all right, or Lake Acone Academy, and I'm running, let's say, I don't know, for the, just the, the sake of, of argument, flex offense. And I had a place where I could send my kids where they could go work off, a da- off that, that down screen on the flex offense to hit that jumper. And sure. then all of a sudden, their workouts are becoming way higher quality and much more relevant to the office of action that they're going to be running in high school. And that's what really kind of gives us a lot of value is that in a scalable way, you know, what I mean by that is just uh, with, with thousands and thousands of kids, we can learn about either a what that kid needs just as a form shot or b yay hey, this kid's in high school he's going to be running the dribble drive so he's going to get a little uh, a lot of kickouts so that's the kind of action he needs to be working on all of a sudden we're able to increase percentages in a major way and literally put more points on the board for the next season for that coach and we've we've been able to chart this we've been able to see how much improvement the high school season's been able to make because of the members in our own facility
1: so you're uh, it sounds like you're connecting with their coaching staffs of these kids. Is that right? That, or, or is there,
0: is that, that, there a connection there? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing we want people to know is that shoot 360 is no gimmick. We are we, we are a technology company founded by coaches, run by coaches and facilitated by coaches. And we don't have all the answers. So we're always looking to collaborate with other coaches. And that's really kind of what your question was about next, you know, a a little while ago was, you know, are we being collaborative enough in this industry? Um, And I would tell you that uh, from an organized standpoint, no, but coaches are willing to collaborate. So what we do is we we uh, not only do we work with that youth player that's just starting to learn how to shoot the basketball and shooting the basketball correctly. But a big part of our job is to go and collaborate with the real educators of the sport. And I'm talking about the high school coaches. And so, um, so we go out, we meet with them. We try to, we, we try to get our, our head around what kind of offense they're running, what kind of defense they're running. And so when we see their uh, kids coming into our facility, we know, okay, that kid's a Zionsville high school kid. Um, they're, they're running, um, you know, kind of the Virginia – blockers and movers we know uh, we know exactly how to set this kid's workout up and we can basically um, uh, mirror their offensive action in their own workouts and that takes a village right that takes that takes us being willing to go out and collaborate with coaches that takes coaches being willing to share what what they want their kids to work on and that takes the player uh, willing to work hard on uh, uh, in their own workouts
1: you know what's funny? You're going to laugh at me. I, I still have my 9450 ball that I trained my players <laughs>
0: nice.
1: on. I knew you would laugh. Nice. I knew that. Um, but, you know, and I know there's other. Tell me about, okay, I can't get to a shoot 360, and, and it's only in certain states. Um, what do you recommend for the technology that's out there for coaches who, who absolutely love what you're saying and want to get some analytics in, in their program
0: well, on great. training? So, I would tell you that um our technology is very proprietary um, and so we we have a lot of patents in the marketplace and and we are growing so the first thing I would tell you that is that we're growing one one of the jobs that I have uh they moved me from a corporates backyard basically, I was working at a corporate in Vancouver, Washington um, and they placed me at Indianapolis uh to basically expand eastward uh so we're we're looking at market areas like Dallas, Chicago, Nashville, Atlanta, uh, Charlotte, and Orlando. Um, so I would say to those coaches, hey, hang on for for a bit, and we're going to be in your market area for sure soon. But outside of that, um, mo- most coaches know about NOAA. And we, we, we utilize NOAA in our facility. It's a big part of our technology in here. But we use right. it in a very, very, um, very specific way. So if you could think about basically it's like our – our members are basically engaging with noah in a much more engaging way so like almost like a video game however that that being said i think noah is the greatest technology in the marketplace right now but it takes a very um open mind and a creative mind to use that to the best of your ability so if you're going to if if you're going to go get noah then um uh I, I, that's a pretty good expense i would say call us up at shoot 360 and, and let us help you uh, utilize NOAA to the best of your ability uh, so, that, so that you're getting the most out of it.
1: Yeah, I know a lot of schools have it. I know they're, they're in a lot of clinics. Tell me about, Brad, um, analytics is the way everything's going yep. in basketball. Right? Yep. Uh, shoot 360, shot tracker, uh, I guess huddle, crossover, mm-hmm. all energy. Uh, everything's analytics, right? Yep. Um, I'm going to ask you a controversial question because uh, I know a lot of your data is objective. I kind of still believe in the subjective eye test to evaluate players. Can you use both?
0: Oh, sure. And why wouldn't you not, right? I mean, like I just kind of spent some time talking about, you know, how we're utilizing technology in an engaging way to bridge what I know and my subjective eye and what the technology knows and its objective feedback and presenting it to the athlete in a development-relevant way so that it's useful for their improvement, right? So that that takes two things. That takes objective material, and that takes an educated eye. So technology is best used. It it should only be used when when it's in concert with every other resource that you have. The minute you start only using uh, technology or analytics – uh, the minute you, you know, the, then you're not, then all of a sudden you're going to go down a toilet bowl of data because you don't know how to use that data or why right. is that data re- relevant to my winter or loss or my development, things like that. So, so to me, it's, it's data. Data is very powerful um, to, to use, but only in a, only when used in concert with all resources. So I'll give you a perfect example. It doesn't take any bit of technology to chart deflections, offensive rebounds, high percentage attempts, and let's say free throw attempts. All right. It it, it takes one assistant coach, right? Coach Hyman can do that every single game for you guys. Sure. But even though that doesn't take any, any data, or I'm sorry, any technology, that's still basketball analytics. Now, I don't care if I ever watched a game. Uh, uh, let's say one game that you guys were taking that data on and all I saw were those four stat points, I guarantee you, I could tell you how the story of that game went. I could tell you that if you guys had twice as many offensive rebounds as your opponent, um, if you, uh, that, that basically you guys are attacking the offensive glass, right? I can also probably bet you're attacking the offense, the, the, the paint, you're probably requiring help side defense to come over. And, and when the shot goes up, now all of a sudden there's no, there's no offensive re- – or I'm sorry, defensive rebounder there. So that leaves one offensive rebounder open. So that probably means you guys are attacking the paint requiring a, a, a help side. Can we agree on that? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so if, if I have twice as many – High percentage attempts, because that was one of the other stats we were, we were talking about, right? So we had four. High percentage attempts, offensive rebounds, deflections, and free throw attempts. So if you had twice as many high percentage attempts, I could tell you that, that you are setting the tone at attacking the paint rather than the other, the other team is probably either, A, settling for first available shots, or you guys are just doing a stud job at forcing jump shots over closeouts. All right? If you got free throw attempts – Let's say you got twice as many free-throw attempts. Then you're putting referees in situations to make calls because obviously that works in concert with your high percentage attempts. So you're attacking the basket. You're the one setting the tone, not the other team. Deflections. Defensively, you guys are setting tones if you have twice as many. Now, it doesn't take a, any bit of technology to do that, but that shows you the power of what analytics can provide you. Now, Now, just with those four stats alone, you can basically tell – it, it, you can use that to tell any story you, uh, or you can use that to prove to your team what the story of the game was and then write your own practice planning now if but but if that's all i used then i really wouldn't be uh utilizing all the resources necessary to create all the skill sets for my for my players so i use those four stats which is kind of like just my human eye i'm charting my my eye my, i, I could see that hey, this guy's not able to attack his defender because he's got bad, poor footwork. He's not locking him in jail. But, man, if I use synergy and I can chart, like, how many um, offensive rebounds this one guy gets, then I might be able to put him in a little bit more of a scenario of uh, of um, that are advantageous to us. If I'm able to chart, you know, with, with huddle, um, how many times I can come off that down screen and getting open looks, um, or I might not be getting open looks off of my down screen, then maybe my screening uh, pra- practice uh, plan is off a bit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm shooting low percentages. I'm shooting in the 24, 25 to 29 percentage three point line. Well, shoot, man, I might be able to want to look at Noah because maybe everybody's shooting su- super high arc or super low arc. So I need to work on, on just the skill of, of shooting with my team. So I don't know. To me, Coach, it just seems like all of it needs to be used in concert with an educated person.
1: Yeah, and I, I real, I, and I, I, I definitely love the numbers and analytics. Um, <clears throat> but I do think I, I'll be honest with you. I, I think nowadays there's analytics with attitude, body language. I think everything. I think you almost have to these days. Yeah. Um yeah I think you really have to evaluate Now, my, my next question is and I, I guess you just knew my next question Brad because I was going to talk about your war for four.
0: Oh yeah, there you go. Well that was uh, it. So <laughs> that, that was that was
1: definitely it. and I and I I'm going to use that this year cuz I I listen to Craig Hayworth's um podcast mm-hmm. and I absolutely love that and I've known you for a long time but I haven't I haven't even known about the war for four. Uh, and I absolutely love that and I particularly we are not a good offensive rebounding team and this that's something that we're really going to try to emphasize. Tell me some things you do to improve offensive rebounding. Oh uh,
0: man I, so I think it's just a it's a controllable, right? Like there's zero skill for offensive rebounding. None, right? It's just a controllable of attitude. So it's a, that that's really kind of that dr- key of dramatics, right? We when I was with uh with coach Hayward on his podcast You know, we we first really talked about the four keys of basketball and you have, you know, spacing, timing, communication and what we call dramatics. And so in that dramatics key, you know, lives engagement, attitude and effort. Right. So to me, offensive rebounding is literally um, just sitting in that 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 fourth key of dramatics. Now, there's some nuances with it, you know, I mean, obviously you want to cover each block and you want to go to the the, the obviously the middle. There's that you know rebounding triangle um, and there's a lot of stats in place that most, you know, missed shots go to the weak side. And so having making sure that that weak side is covered, you know, with an offensive border. But unless unless you you coach into them, the effort, attitude and engagement piece, um, then then, you know, you're going to have a tough time. So your practice plan should reflect a lot of intense drills. So, so coach Durden would be a perfect example of this, right? That, that basically from the get go, from the first time these players ever experience him, he's super intense and he's already laid the standard at which he expects everybody else to acquiesce to. So that's, it all starts there. So last night we had a team clinic, we're working with a high school program, working with their their coaches, and they have a group of freshmen who are all kind of on the bubble of making the team. And they're on the bubble of making the team because they don't really honor much of anything. They certainly don't honor effort, attitude, and engagement. And so we just stayed in that one space. This is what it means to have effort, attitude, and engagement. That was the very first time that they ever had any contact with me. So now I, I feel like because of... My intensity and because of where I was holding, up, where my standard was set, I now feel like okay, these guys know um, what I expect out of them. So now I can move on to spacing, timing, and communication. So I would do things like the intensity drill. There's a really good drill out there that that involves charge. It, it, it's it's charges, loose ball, fly to the ball, box out, and possessing the ball. If you can incorporate those five skill sets into a drill. Man, that's one heck of a drill. Okay, so so that's a great drill. Um, there's another one called the chair, uh, the war drill, where it's a box out um, on, uh, uh, basically, you're, you put a, a basketball on a chair, and you're boxing out, I call it seven seconds of hell. You got to right. box out for seven seconds, and then if you do that, you get rewarded with the ball, and it's one-on-one. And if the, if the other person gets the ball, then they immediately go, and it's one-on-one. But just kind of setting the tone, like, this is how much you have to fight. This is how much you have to be engaged all the time. There's never any plays off, and you've always got to get to the next play. There's another really good drill, circle the wagon. It's, it's, just, it's nothing but an effort and engagement drill, you know, where, where you've got about three or four girls who are circling you. They're running around you, and you just chuck up a missed shot, and they just got to go fight for it. Um, and they have to get the ball back to you before turning the ball over. Um, so a lot of these things that are just uh, – we, we start with diving on, the, on, on loose balls. That's how we warm up. you got to learn yeah. how to dive correctly on the floor. Um, so, hey, look, this is, this is what I expect you to do. You need to dive for a ball, and this is how you dive for a ball. Um, so, so the original question was, you know, we're a terrible offensive rebounded team. You know, how, how do we get more out of that? Well, chart it. Have a goal for it. What's the expectation? What's the standard? Hey, the standard is for our team to have twice as many offensive rebounds as the other team. Find a way to reflect that in practice. So split them up in three-on-three and four-on-four and five-on-five and chart offensive boards. If it means a lot to you, then it'll mean a lot to them. But it only means a lot to you. uh, it, it, It only proves to them that it means a lot to you when and if and how much you talk about it.
1: Yeah. And it's um, less is better, though. Right. Right, Brad. I mean, sometimes we as coaches, we're all about the X's and O's. And I guess over the years that I've learned, it's not about that at all. Uh, it, well, it is somewhat, but it's about the emphasis. Mm,
0: mm-hmm. Yes. No, I, I, absolutely. I don't know what what less is better means. Um, well, if you're talking about what, what do you mean by less is better?
1: Well, uh, sometimes we kind of – we overdo it with, you know, too many plays, oh, yeah. uh, too many defenses, too many drills. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm guilty as anybody. Yes, uh, yes. I think – personally, let's talk about drills and practices. I think it's better – what I'm learning is have one key drill. And I actually learned this from a friend of mine I did a podcast with uh he uh, he talks about his six DNA DNA drills that he does every day. Yep. And they modify it and change it. Uh, but it's six basic drills.
0: So Coach uh Huggins at West Virginia talks about you have to trick your kids to work on the same exact things every single day without them knowing it. Right? And so right. all all that all he's really saying there. Is run the same crap with small modifications, so that that, that they think that it's, it's a little this one's a little slightly different, you know. Yeah. So I take four concepts: spacing, timing, communication, and dramatics. And I, I I bet you I probably have maybe six to eight drills that that incorporate all four of those things. We're def, we're gonna do all of those things every single day. Number one, it, it creates. Um, it, I, I think I think when you do small thing when you do less things like that it creates a sense of rhythm um, sure. that is uh, not just comfortable but secure to the athlete. And, and young athletes learn best in secure environments. When you start, like, shocking their system with this drill, then that drill, then this drill, then that drill, and then you're going to hold them accountable to something you've never gone over before, it's like a overload, right? Like, all of a mm-hmm. sudden, your brain wants to explode. And I've, I've, I've been a part of programs where coaches do that. And, I'm, you know, for me, I was, hey, you you got you to strip this way down and and come up with your your three or four best things, and then go with that. Greatest coach I ever knew, California high school coach, um, Greg Coombs. Okay, he was coach at uh, he was the coach at Cypress High School. He said, "Here's here, here's what I do." And this guy is a is a California winner through and through. Okay, Hall of Famer, runs one offense, he runs one defense, he runs one out of bounds play he runs one press break and he, and he does one press and that's it. That's yeah. It. So yeah. Quality versus quantity. Right.
1: Right. Right. And today it's, it's, I mean, you see high school teams running multiple deep, which is, I guess it's fine. It's based on philosophy. Um, but I, I, see a lot of, a lot of almost over coaching. Yeah. Um, particularly at the high school level, but I guess it's preference, right? I mean, you can't say it's right or wrong.
0: I, well, I mean, I, I, unless at at, at the end of the day, coach, it's about the jimmies and the jokes. (laughs) I mean, if you've got the horses to do it, right. Then then go, go get it done. You know, if I've got, if I'm Norcross high school and I got seven division one dudes, you know, it might be real simple to keep it easy. Right. But if I've got guys, you know, who are a bunch of can't get rights, And um, and they're all five eleven. Well, shoot, I might want to keep it just as easy. Right. Um, But uh, to to me, people start convoluting the environment um, and it's almost like they want to prove they can coach when they sure they get super complicated. And all that does is just create a convoluted environment. So. So to me, yeah, maybe politically correct, we can say there's no right, wrong or indifferent. But I do think that there is that there's a right way to do something and there's a wrong way to do something. And I think that we got to take a look at the students we have and and then we have to modify based upon the students we've got.
1: Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. And you said that at the beginning of the podcast is you got to base what you run, what you do, and you have to change it probably every year based on your personnel. Sure. And of course, high school changes every year. That's right. That's <laughs> um, concept, right. Hey, Brad, my last question, because I know you're a busy man. Um, I'm really a big, I try to develop leaders uh, in our program. I believe leadership is a skill and it should be developed in every basketball program. How do you go about developing leaders? And do you think leadership is innate and cannot be developed? Or do you think you can develop anybody into a leader?
0: I think you can develop anybody into recognizing leader qualities. And I think that there's a big difference, right, between being able to develop the quality of this as a leader versus being able to develop a leader. And um, not everybody is going to be a leader, just period. But what would be really what's really healthy is when you start developing uh, into somebody how to recognize leader qualities. All right. Um, And that goes a long way, because either there there might be situations where that person is called to be a leader in a specific setting, whether it's on the basketball floor, the professional floor or the most important thing in our families. Right. So uh, at some point, all of these people are going to be leaders in their own household. So it might not be a leader in the conference room or it might not be a leader as in a political leader or a team captain. But at some point, we got to lead our own households. So I think that, that it's crucial for coaches to teach the skill of what it takes in order to be or recognize leadership. So, uh, yeah, may, may, maybe that, that answers your question. But, man, this it, is kind of a, a fascinating topic to me because – so I, I was with IUPUI uh, yesterday. And they require all of their freshmen – to take leadership courses. Now that's their freshmen. We're not talking about seniors, we're talking about freshmen, right? So, so all of their freshmen are going to take leadership courses. Now, why do you think that is? Because, probably because they're hoping someday they're gonna be seniors. They're hoping right. at some point, they're gonna be you know, three or four seniors on that court that can lead the next group. So that's a great way to teach a legacy where I think we as coaches tend to think opposite man, I got to get my seniors to be leaders, man. If you have waited to, to teach your kids how to be leaders when they're seniors in high school, I mean, it's too late.
1: It's too late. It's too, yeah. it's too
0: late. So, so who are you teaching leadership to? Is it a part of your, is it an innate part of your program? As soon as they, they, they have a physical touch with your program, or are you trying to teach it when they be, end up becoming um, elders? There's a difference between being elders and being leaders.
1: Oh, for for sure. Um, And I I totally agree with that because we have I have a seven step program that we use. We teach we teach leadership. I mean, I mean, but we also teach to be a good follower, too. I mean, don't you think? I mean, I think you have to have good leaders and I think they'll they'll rise to the top like a Brad Butterworth. Uh, But I also think like sometimes even a, a good leader has to be a good follower. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No,
0: of course it does. Right. I mean, so, so, because to me, the greatest, the greatest attribute or characteristic that a leader has is humility. Right. So, yes, so absolutely. I, I think that uh, in order to be a great leader, you have to be humble. Um, and that, and that person who has that level of humility can allow, for, um, uh, for other people to step in and lead when appropriate, but then has the self-confidence and skill to step up when necessary. Um, great leaders to me um, show humility by, because they're lifelong learners. Now that's hard to teach, right? It's hard to teach people to be lifelong learners. But typically I think that that is a characteristic that, that leaders have. Is there just a bill? I want to learn this. Show me this. I, I, Hey, can you spend time with me on this? I want to, I want to know this. I want to break this down. Can you sit with me and film? I, I want to know how to manage payroll. Can you show me how it is to, to, to create a scalable product? I mean, those are the types of people that are going to become the next generation um, of leaders. And it takes humility to do that.
1: Yes. And that's why I'm speaking to um, people like yourself who have tremendous knowledge and, and, particularly in the um, analytics and, and the technology of going on in basketball training mm-hmm. and sure. development. I mean, Hey, I'm always trying to pick your brain. I, I, <laughs> I think just like you mentioned before, that, that they really, they just want to kind of hold on to their own ideas. And I, to me, that's very sad, but Hey, Brad, give me one final parting shot for our listeners. I don't care if, you know, if they're, they're experienced or beginning coaches what, what parting advice can you give to our coaches out there?
0: Yeah, uh, so I would say two things. Number one, uh, take, t- take the act of winning off your shoulders. Uh, winning is a byproduct of preparation. If you're focused on winning, you're going to lose a lot of games. If you're focused on preparation, then the byproduct of that is winning. So change your focus uh, from actual winning games to what what am I trying to get out of this drill right now? And how is it relevant to success? So that that would be uh, number one. Number two, I would say relax with parents. Parents are always going to be there. They're always going to be a part of the process and they're always going to be a part of this game. They either played it. Um, or they or, or, or they have a kid that plays it. And that's why they're under your your leadership right now. So to try to uh, eliminate parents is a futile effort. They're the ones uh, footing the bill for pretty much everything. And so you've got to find a way to include parents as a part of this train. And this is where it comes into um, where you got to start creating an infectious environment that people want to be a part of. This is where it comes into having a little bit of humility as a leader. If, 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 um, if you want a great, successful program, start figuring out ways in which not to uh, shut parents out, but to include them in an appropriate way in the process. Parents just want to know what's going on with their kids. It's their child that's in the program, not yours. Right. So I see that all over the country, people trying to win games and they end up losing a lot and people trying to shut out parents and you're not going to do that. So that would be my two parting words of wisdom. Coach Furtado, man, I've known you now, I think for maybe eight, eight years, eight, seven, eight years. I really enjoyed coming out to your practices when you were at Georgia military my kid remembers yep. you to this day. You have been—you've been, you've been a, a fantastic person in my life, and I—I'm so happy to hear that you're on the airwaves right now with your podcast, and I can't wait to uh, work with you more.
1: Brad, I so appreciate it, and um, I tell you, I'm always—I'm always willing to pick your brain. you you are a uh, visionary man. I know. I'm hoping you guys get to Atlanta soon, oh, Coach. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And, uh, I got to get home, Coach. This is, this is my ticket home, baby. So. <laughs> That's right.
1: That's right. Hey, Brad, I sure appreciate the listeners. I know I'm going to get a lot of downloads. And uh, hopefully, how can the listeners get a hold of you?
0: Absolutely. Brad.Butterworth at Shoot360.com. That's Butterworth like the syrup. Brad.Butterworth at Shoot360.com. I love to meet uh, coaches from all over the country. I've worked with this sport all over the world. Um, so please just contact me. Um, uh, let's talk hoops.
1: Brad, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, I wish you the best, man. Thank you so much.
0: Yep. You too, coach. We'll see you soon.
1: Thank you, sir. Bye now.
0: Bye-bye.